You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Shavua Tov to all the listeners out there. Hope you had a pleasant weekend. I'm not going to say a wonderful weekend. Certainly we Jews went into shul and we spoke about Noah and the flood, Noah and the mubble. And it seems that we kind of relived <laughs> that historic moment this weekend, certainly in Gauteng. Quite a miserable one, one for duvets and hot chocolate. I certainly indulged in that for what, for whatever, uh, uh, whatever you did on the weekend, I hope that you did enjoy yourself and the weather did not spoil your activities. We are back learning the book of Genesis. We are going to be starting chapter 3, verse 8 now. Last week we had quite an intense discussion, probably a very, very important discussion regarding the whole chait Eitz Hadat, the sin of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And uh, I had, I loved the participation that I got. And of course, as always, I invite you to join this conversation on 34519 or you can stick in our WhatsApp number 0618951019. Um, we are now going to continue the discussion and we're going to understand the punishments that the snake and Adam and Eve received because of this eating. Just to recap a little bit from last week, what happened at the end of our discussion is that we came to the conclusion and understanding from our Hasidic masters that, in fact, this whole tree of knowledge, good and evil, of Eve partaking of it, of sharing it with with Adam was in fact an intentional act because what they wanted to do was they wanted to create a space, a place where humanity um, will be challenged with the the paradigm of freedom of choice um, and decide to bring godliness into the world or not. And that's really the way we have been living for the last 5,700 um, so 5,779 years, I had to think about that one for a, a, a split second. And, um, that is the way the, the, the paradigm of the world works right now. It works on a system of reward and punishment. For every action, there is a reaction. And we are the ones, we are the, the originators of the reaction based on the actions that we take that is based going back to our free choice that we choose to either do good if we do good then there is reward and if we do punishment if we do evil there is punishment but it's not a simple case of reward and punishment because then it would take away our free will if we knew every time we made a blessing every time we kept shabbat every time we 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 ate something kosher we would immediately see the reward and vice versa, if every time we did something wrong, we would suddenly be struck with lightning or we would see our punishment, then that by definition would take away our freedom of choice. The way that it works is that we do good and we stay away with evil, knowing that ultimately we will get the reward, if not in this world, in the world to come. Um, and that gives a better balance in terms of freedom of choice because sometimes we do choose to do good. We do not see the immediate reward for it and vice versa when we do 
something negative, we don't necessarily see that punishment straight away. But we do experience good and we do experience not good stuff in our lives. And all of that is um, the cogs in the wheel of this 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 paradigm called uh, free choice. We're now going to see the way Adam and Eve react to the fact that they had sinned. We know in the verse, the last verse that we finished last week is that their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed together fig leaves and they made for themselves loincloth. And we mentioned at the end that they were now in the deepest, the most, the, 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 the most nether of worlds, the, the, the most lowest of worlds. And in this world, we um, are able to see, we are able to desire, we are able to choose between the most evil of evil and the most good of good. And in that world, we are able to see nakedness. We are able to see things that are good and things that are not good. And they realized that and they tried to cover themselves. Let's now look into... um Verse 8, so we're looking chapter 3, verse 8, and let's see uh, what we have here. V'yishmau et kol Hashem Elokim mithalech began l'ruach hayom. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the wind of the day. So they were still pretty spiritually sensitive they hear the God walking in the wind of the day. What was their reaction? The man and his wife, Adam and Eve, hid themselves from God amongst the trees of the garden. And God calls to Man, Vayomelo Ayeka, and God says to Adam, Hey, where are you? And I'm just going to read the, the next two verses so that we've got context and then we will go back and start dissecting this firstly. Vayomer, and he says, Et kolcha shamati began. This is now Adam speaking back to God. I hear your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so God says, Who told you that you are naked? Who did you go and eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of it? Vayomer ha'adam, and man replies, Ha'isha, natna, ha'isha, natna imadi, the woman who you gave, who was, gave to me, he natna li min ha'etz va'ochal, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. So here we find something really, really interesting. And I want you guys out there to listen to these verses and ask one or two pertinent questions. Because, again, 
we cannot just take the, the, the Chumash, we cannot take the Bible and look at it on face value and just understand the story as a face value story. There are some inconsistencies about it. I'm going to read again the English so you can hear it loud and clear, and let's see um, if we can pick up some inconsistencies in the text. God, they hear the voice of God walking in the garden in the wind of the day. Man and wife hide themselves from God amongst the trees of the garden. God calls out to man and he says, where are you? Man says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So God says, who told you that you were naked? Did you then eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of it? And the man says, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What can possibly be wrong with these verses? Join in the conversation on 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. And this, the learning for this hour will be Le'iloi Nishmat Yitzchak Ben Herschel. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Well, that didn't give too much time for us to wait for a feed to come in. So I'm going to assist on some of the questions. The first, probably most profound question is how did God call to man and say, Ayeka, where are you? That's the first question. And a sub question of that, um, can also um, be followed later on, which I'm going to pick up in verse 13, uh, which I'm going to read now just for the purposes of context. It says, So God says to woman, What is this that you have done? The woman says, The serpent seduced me and I ate. So let's go back and ask some questions and learn some lessons. Firstly, why did God open with the word Ayeka? Where are you? Did God not know where Adam and Eve were? Did God not know that they had sinned? Did God not know everything that happened? If God is omnipresent and he knows absolutely everything about what is happening, why are you asking, so to speak, a superfluous question? What could have happened is that he could have opened up and said, Adam, what is going on? I see that you haven't listened to me, and now you and your wife are hiding, or whatever it is. Why answer with, why open with the question, Ayeka, and then turn to the wife and say, what is this? What have you done? So on a practical level, we learn a very, very profound lesson, but a lesson that that one should use particularly when one is confronting another who has done something wrong. This can for sure be part of the education of our children, that when we do see something happening, that something wrong, our children have done something wrong, or we are confronting our spouse or we are confronting somebody who's done something wrong, that while it is instinctual to go and say, well, let's talk about what just happened and what you did wrong, one should actually take a step back 
and phrase their their dismay or their wanting to open this conversation with a question. It's a very, very important lesson. God was saying Ayeka to Adam not because he didn't know where Adam was, but he saw that Adam was terrified. Why? Because Adam and Chava made those fig loincloths and they were hiding, they were trembling, they were cowering amongst the trees of the garden. So in order to relax him, he asked him where he was in order to start um, the conversation. So the lesson here is that one should not reprimand somebody immediately because the anguish in exposing them of the wrong they have done is as bitter as death. It is better, number one, to wait a while, to take a deep breath, to give a little bit of space. And then when opening up the question, one needs to open it up in a pleasant way, probably with a question, ah, where have you been or what have you been doing? And opening it this way as opposed to just going for the jugular, something vitally important and something that helps maintain and retain the person's um, self-esteem and kind of, in a sense, almost separates the person from the deed, particularly very, very important with children. The second thing that we learn from God's communication with Adam is that he said to Adam, where, where, where are you? He says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? And what does Adam do? He goes and says, it was the woman. She gave it to me. So God turns around to the woman and says, what is this that you have done? And then she kind of shifts it on over to the, to the Nachash, to the serpent. So the rabbis teach over here that God asked both Adam and Eve what they had done. And they knew that they had done it. Why didn't they say, yes, God, I d- we did it. Adam could have said, yes, God, I ate from the tree of knowledge. He shoved it on to Eve. When Eve was reprimanded and asked, what have you done? She said, no, it wasn't me. It was the snake. So from this, the rabbis teach us that authorities, people in authority, um, obviously the court of law, but parents, um, uh, judges, anybody who is hearing something, they are not allowed to punish a suspect on the basis of hearsay evidence without asking him first because it is possible that he may have some defense. And this is what God was doing. He was giving Adam and Eve the, the ability to defend themselves. Okay. The way they did was that they shoved their responsibility, which is a, another issue altogether. But he didn't go and say from Eve, I heard, or Adam, I heard from Eve, I, I, nothing. What did you do? And he gave them the opportunity to defend themselves. So lesson number one is that one should not attack another person immediately for what they've done wrong. One should take a breath, take a space, take a little while, take a day, let everything calm down in order to have the discussion in a proper framework. Number two, to open it up with a generic 
discussion so that you don't, so that you calm the person down and that they know that you're here to try and understand and dissect what is going on. And then the third thing that we have to do is to give each person the ability to defend themselves. You need to defend yourself or give the opportunity for the person to the to defend themselves. Then let's go back to the question and ask one more profound one, and that is what is really the meaning of Ayeka? Where are you? And uh, uh, WhatsApp has just come in. Hi, Robertson. Was Hashem referring to what level Adam was on when he asked the question, where are you? Good question, Stephen. And let me explain more uh, more deeply on this question of Ayeka with another story, a story that happened about 200 years ago. It's a true story. It's a story of... The first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya, there was a stage in the Rebbe's life where he was incarcerated in the Russian prison for uh, working against the government. Um, obviously, he was doing a tremendous amount of work in the Jewish realm and that the communists did not like. And so they incarcerated him in a in, in, in the prison. And not only did they incarcerate him in this horrid prison, they put him into solitary confinement. And worse of all, this solitary confinement, this room was a dungeon. It was a black space where you could neither tell day or night, could not know which day of the week it was. It really was a very, very dark, horrible place to be put in. And the Rebbe was there for a certain amount of time, and the story is told that there was a prison guard who wasn't as ruthless as all the, the, as, as the communist regime um, would have it, and he could see that this prisoner was different to the other prisoners in that he, he, he looked holy. He looked special. It looked like he wasn't a, a criminal on any low level whatsoever. And he watched the Alter Rebbe. Obviously, there were times that he would bring the Rebbe food and the Rebbe water, etc., etc. And after an extensive time in in prison, one day the prison guard came to bring the food to the to the Alter Rebbe. And he asked the Alter Rebbe, he says, I see that you're a holy man and that you study <clears throat> the holy books. I have a question for you. So the Alter Rebbe said, well, ask, please do ask. So this Gentile God said to him, I am a man of the Bible and I like to read the Bible. And I was reading the story of the Garden of Eden and I came to the place where God asks Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Surely, said this God to the Alter Rebbe, surely God knows where Adam is. Why would he ask such a question? The Alter Rebbe smiled and uh, he said, he replied back to the Gentile God, that is indeed a question. And it is a question that perhaps was not only asked of Adam, it is a question in that Adam represented humanity 
the whole of humanity to date, to this very day, Adam is that metaphor for humanity. And he says, we go through our daily lives. This is the Alter Rebbe speaking to the Gentile soldier. We go through our daily lives working, marrying, setting up a home, doing things. And really the question Ayeka is a question that resonates all the time from the inception of creation throughout the world in all times and spaces where God begs of man, Ayeka, where are you? Meaning, says the Alter Rebbe to the Gentile, you have lived and he told him the number of years. I can't remember exactly how old this Gentile guy was, but let's just say he was 52. He says, for example, you have lived 52 years on this earth. Where are you? What have you achieved? Have you fulfilled your purpose? What are you doing about it? That is why there is that question, Ayeka. Well, you can just imagine the disbelief of the Gentile God in that the Alter Rebbe, without ever having a conversation, knew exactly how old he was. He realized how powerful the Alter Rebbe was, how spiritual, how holy the Alter Rebbe was. And he took his his answer very, very deep into his heart in understanding um that question. And so Stephen, your question is maybe Hashem was referring to the asking Adam what level he was asking. He wasn't only asking Adam, he was asking us. He was asking each and every one of us, Ayeka, where are you today? Where are you standing? What have you achieved? Have you ever questioned even the purpose of your life? And if you have, are you fulfilling your life's purpose? Are you living with purpose? Are you accomplishing what is your mission in life? Most people don't think about those things. Most people are very much just involved in the materiality and physicality of this world in running around doing what they have to do, trying to, to, to just deal with the vicissitudes of life, but never ever stop and saying, Am I living a life that I can answer to God, where am I? Am I living something that, that, that creates purpose, that there is a reason for my creation? So this is a very, very profound question, um, which according to the Alter Rebbe reverberates throughout the centuries. I hope that Stephen um, answered your question. So that really is, we've learned some practicalities on approaching people who have done wrong. We would like that approach certainly dealt with us so that we don't, you know, feel small, terrified, um, frightened by what we have done, but to face and take responsibility. I guess the last uh, thing that we can learn about Ayeka is that this is God saying, are you taking, Adam, responsibility for your action? Something that is sorely, sorely missing in today's, uh, today's world where people will do things wrong and what they will do is they will shove that personal responsibility. It was the wife that made me eat and the wife says it's the snake that made me eat. And there is an entire uh, theme and discussion there about responsibility, personal responsibility. 
collective responsibility, responsibility to the world, and this is something that we need certainly to emphasize more and more because it is lacking um, in, in a tremendous way um, in this world. Let's now go through the the curses that the snake and Eve and Adam received. I'm going to read them on the practical level and explain to them and elucidate them a little bit more. But as a general comment, uh, commentary, one has to understand now that these curses, these punishments were a response, were a result of Adam and Eve choosing to come down now into the physical world and elevate the physical world um, from its like deepest, darkest level. So on one very, very, um, d- d- on, on a very deep level, these weren't punishments, they were consequences to the action. We needed these elements to be in place in order for us now to have our free choice. But let's go through it. Now, what we do notice is that God doesn't ask the serpent, who told you to eat from the tree? First he asks Adam, Adam says it's the wife. He asks the wife, the wife says it's the serpent. Why did God not ask the servant? Okay, because um, we are told that when a person convinces another to commit a sin, he is not given a chance to justify himself. Okay, the, the the serpent, the snake told Eve she could create universes if she ate from the tree. That was an act of idolatry. Okay, he was therefore not given a chance to defend himself. When you cause somebody else to to do a sin, you have no no leg to stand on. You have no justification because not only did you do wrong, but you caused somebody else to do wrong. God says the following to the serpent. God says to the serpent, Ki asita. Zot, because you did this, you were the reason why we had to do this. Arurata mikol habehema mikol You are now going to be cursed above all the cattle and all the wild beasts that are found on the field. Al You are now going to crawl on your belly. You are going to eat dust for the rest of your life. And I am going to plant hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. They or the woman will strike People will strike you in the head and you will strike them in the heels. Remember here that we are talking about the snake being a metaphor for the Yetzirah, for that part of us that will entice us to do negative. Nevertheless, let's go back and understand these curses. In fact, he got cursed with ten curses. The first curse is that he would be... um, Crawling on his belly, we are told in the Mephorashim that in the explanations that initially the the snake, not the lion, okay, was uh, was was the king of the the earth. He was actually the highest of all the animals, and um, he stood on two feet. He had hands and feet. Now, because of this, God 
cut off his hands and feet. And the first curse is that it says the angels descended. They cut off his hands and his feet. It said the pain was so much that he screamed. So he screamed, screamed so loudly that it could be heard from one end of the world to the other. And that was because he himself was the one responsible for bringing death to the world. Um, and now what he would do is drag himself on his belly. Um, and that is because he allowed himself and the rest of humanity to drag themselves uh, to their passions. That was one of the one part of the ten curses. The other was that until that time, the snake would eat regular food. And he would, sorry, he didn't eat regular food. He ate spiritual food. He was quite, uh, quite spiritually uh, sensitive. The second curse was now that he'd eat the dust of the earth. Um, and surely we know that the dust of the earth is the least tastiest of absolutely everything. Um, before this also, um, he was the most important. We understand that because God says when he curses him, Mikol Hayatasade, Mikol Habahema, you are now going to be cursed above all the animals and above all the cattle, meaning both the domestic animals and the wild animals. He was above them all. And now what has happened? He becomes cursed from them all. He becomes much, much lower than absolutely everybody else. Another thing is that he was um, constantly um, in a state of looking as if he had leprosy. The white dots on his body were leprous spots. And this punishment was because he he um, slandered God. He spoke Losh and Horror, and we know when one um, speaks slander, malicious speech, leprosy is that punishment. The fifth curse was that he would have to shed his skin every seven years. And this is a very interesting one. It says that punishment fits the crime. Why? Because it says that Adam was had a beautiful skin. Um, Adam was created with a beautiful, beautiful shining skin. And that skin shone like what our um, nails, our fingernails look today. And by causing Adam to sin, the snake made him lose his beautiful skin. And that's just, by the way, why we gaze at our fingernails during Havdalah. Because during Shabbat, it says a person is like a king. He wears his best clothing. He eats good food. He drinks good wine. It's very easy to feel um, self-important and to discuss uh, you know, important things. But when it comes to Havdalah, where we are separating between Shabbat and the weekday, we gaze at our fingernails to remember how much harm the sins of pride and excessive speech can be. And now going into the new uh, week, we should, we, we should remain humble. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And we are discussing the punishments of the snake. Um, we went through five of them. I'm just going to go through the other ten. It doesn't look like we're going to have too much time to go through everybody else's. Maybe we'll do that next week. The sixth curse was that there would be great hatred between the woman and the serpent. Um, it's interesting because one of the 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 excuse, I mean, not one of the excuse that the woman gives. To God is Vatomer Haisha. The woman says, "Venachash hishi ani veochal." The serpent seduced me, 
and I ate. And the Talmud teaches that, in fact, there was relations between the snake and, uh, and, and woman. In fact, the reason why he tries to, uh, in, uh, engage in conversation with the woman is because it says that the woman, wa- that Eve was one of the most beautiful women and, uh, the snake was attracted to her. And in fact, there was a, a, a time where they had marital relations. From that, the rabbis teach that when a man and a woman sin with each other, they will end up hating each other. This is based now on the curse of the fact that moving forward, the woman will hate the snake. The woman's offspring will hate the snake's offspring. Um, this is still even seen today, um, certainly from a practical point of view, that most people have an inborn loathing for snakes. And whenever a snake is seen, generally try to smash its head and try to get rid of it. The seventh curse is obviously that a human can smash a snake's head, um, and if the snake wants to retaliate, it can only bite a person's heel. Again, if we take the metaphoric view of the snake being the Yetzirah, it's what is really happening is God is telling Adam that if we keep the Torah, we don't have to worry about the snake. We don't have to worry about the Yetzirah. It's not the serpent that kills. It's the sin that kills. And if we don't keep the commandments, we don't keep the mitzvot, authority then is given for the Yetzirah to uh, bite them. So basically the Yetzirah, the Nachash, will bite people on the hill because they are not careful with the mitzvot. They tread on the mitzvot with their heels. And this is really talking about the mitzvot that um, we take lightly, like we're happy to trample on, meaning things like speaking badly about one's neighbor, um, eating a host uh, where the meal uh, – where eating a meal where the host doesn't have enough for himself, not uh, walking four cubits, washing hands in the morning, things that we go, oh, God, God doesn't really bother about these things. They're really small things, and we trample on them with the heel. Um, this is the repercussion that the snake can bite us. The eighth curse was that poison exists inside his mouth, and it actually burns the snake's mouth as well. The ninth curse is um, the very big one, and that is death, because since the Nachash was the cause of death, he was the first to experience it. Now, ultimately, in the future, and this is the tenth curse, when Mashiach will come, it says that all will be healed. All will be healed, great and small. But in the case of the Nachash, in case of the Yetzirah, God says, dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And this is an illusion that the Nachash will remain this way even in the times of Mashiach. Um, and this is something that we can understand because when Mashiach comes, we will see the complete death of the Yetzirah. We will not have this desire anymore. We will have reverted back to the status of the Garden of Eden. And um, that is... Really where we are trying to, to work at. In the meantime, this Nachash, um, it's kind of like a slithering, um, caricature of the snake is 
a, a type of slyness, a type of quiet, a kind of like moving underneath everything all and then waiting to attack. And this we are told by rabbis is the metaphor for the, for the snake insofar as that that's what the Yetzirah does. If somebody is keeping, say, Kashrut 100%, the Yetzirah is not going to come and tell you to eat a piece of pork because that you will immediately rebuff and say, but I keep kosher. I cannot come, possibly think, to eat something not kosher. But what he will do is he will come slip sliding through the, through, through the undercurrent, through thing and saying, oh, in the realm of kashrut, Oh, by mistake, you did this small thing or this tiny thing. Well, it's not so bad and don't really get so upset about it because God doesn't really mind. And you will kind of like hear that and let that go. And then he'll come again and say, well, that's also not a problem and that's okay. And before you know it, you've actually gone down a slippery slide yourself. And God forbid you could come to the place where you eventually will give up. On the laws of Kashrut. That is the way the Yetzirah works. Um, that's generally how people work. Uh, taking another example, if you're going to steal, you're not going to go out and, you know, create the greatest heist when you haven't practiced. You will feel comfortable with stealing time, stealing a little bit of money, stealing a little bit of this, stealing a little bit of that. And when you see that you aren't caught, kind of like when you're thrown against that tree and nothing happens, then you will go for the big thing. This is all the work of the snake, all the work of this serpent who is the sliced and who is there really in essence on a deep Hasidic level is there to balance things out and to give us the ability to choose between good and evil. Um, and we confronted every single day of our lives as the Alter Rebbe, Reb Shneir Zaman of Liadi, who we learned the story Ayeka, who, where are you from, also goes and says that within human man there is a city um, and there are two kings that are fighting it. One is the Yetzir Tov, the good inclination, and the other the Yetzir Horror. And every single day we we fight it out. We make choices every day. Um, and perhaps one of the most important lessons of this Ayeka is have you taken responsibility for the choices that you have made today. And with that thought, I wish you all a Shavua Tov, a great week, a productive week, a responsible week. And please, God, I will be back same time, same place next week.